Father, we do come before you this morning and we praise you and thank you for your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus, who is so gracious and so kind and so merciful, who, who gave himself for us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to proclaim the truth concerning your son. And I pray that uh, you would prepare our hearts, that we would truly have a heart attitude like we just sang wanting to allow your truth to work in our hearts that we would learn more about your son, Jesus. Father, thank you for this time. We commit it to you now in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, as we go through life, many of us are realize that we're presented with circumstances and situations before us to which our decisions and responses to have great consequences. There are decisions that come across us during our life that uh, what we do and what we choose in those decisions will affect our lives, affect our lives. Now, often those who are, us who are, were young, I was young, but those of you who are young, we don't realize how much those decisions affect our lives. We don't realize how much uh, one simple response to a certain thing can affect our entire lives. You see, we're all going to come across circumstances that we're presented with in which we must respond. And now, although there are varying, differing circumstances, there's one circumstance, there's one decision that every human being will have placed before them. And that's what we're going to see today. It's the presentation of Jesus. And we're going to see that our response to him determines our eternal destiny. Today we're going to see the laying forth again, our presentation of Jesus. So turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35. And we'll we'll start out and read a little earlier in verse 21. But I want to share a little of the context for the book of Luke. This is uh, Luke's inspired account on which he uh, wrote. We see in chapter 1, after investigating everything carefully and writing it in consecutive order, to share with who he calls most excellent Theophilus. The Gospel of Luke is about the Savior, Christ the Lord. And in the first chapter, Luke presents the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, one who would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus, the Savior. And intertwined within this presentation of John the Baptist, Luke chronicles the angel Gabriel's announcement of the birth of the Son of the Most High to Mary a virgin who will conceive. And it's from this announcement we have Mary's greeting to Elizabeth in which Mary responds with her soul, exalting the Lord and rejoicing in God, her Savior. Then in chapter 2, we have the detailed biblical account of the birth of Jesus. And we have the angel bringing the good news to the shepherds that a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. And we have the response of the heavenly host, praising God, glory to God in the highest. And then we have the shepherds go and search and go to the manger and find it exactly as they were told. And they make known the statement that was made to them, to Mary and Joseph. And Mary treasured these things in her heart. Then the shepherds went back glorifying and praising God. And it's at this point in the Gospel of Luke we come to the presentation of Jesus. And we will be challenged to what our response will be. Again, turn to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 21 and on. Verse 21, the start. And when eight days were completed for, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. 
And the Spirit came into the, and in the, and He came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry him out for the, carry him for the, out, excuse me, for him, the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, to Mary his mother, Behold the child, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now we're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35, but I just want to briefly go through the verses that lead up to it, starting in verse 21. And notice we see that Jesus was circumcised according to the law. And at that time he was given the name to which both Mary and Joseph were told to name him. Verse 21, And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, circumcision, contrary to what some people might think, was often done at home here, not at the temple. And it's on the eighth day when one is circumcised, and then they would name the child. Indeed, we see that in relationship to John the Baptist in chapter 1. And this is exactly what Jesus' parents did with him. So they are not in Jerusalem yet, they are actually at home. And it's at this point, Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, obedient to the law, go to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord, But they couldn't do that until the days, look at the end of 21, the the days of their purification according to the law of Moses were completed. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Now in the law, the Old Testament covenant that God had made with Israel in Leviticus chapter 12, there was a requirement of a ceremonial purification of the mother after the birth of a child. And afterwards, an offering would be given. And in this purification, the mother would be unclean ceremonially for seven days, and she would not be able to enter the sanctuary for another 33 days. And the time would double for a female child, Leviticus 12. So at this point, Jesus, baby Jesus, is at least 40 days old when he is brought to the temple to be presented. And verse 22, And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed as... In, 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 the law, we, in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy unto the Lord. Let me see that passage there. I think I misread that verse. So again, verse 22, And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy holy to the Lord, and to offer sacrifice according to what had been said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. We know from Exodus chapter 13 and Numbers chapter 18 that every firstborn was holy unto the Lord. They were set apart, and that is presented to the Lord, and then a price was paid. They were, in a sense, redeemed and it was a picture of what God had done for the firstborn in Israel when they, when we had the final plague, when the Passover lamb, where the blood was put over the doorposts. It was a picture. Every firstborn is called holy to the Lord. So Mary and Joseph bring Jesus, and it's about 40 days, 40 days old, to the temple to be presented to the Lord. And they offer a sacrifice according to what is said of the law of the Lord. Verse 24, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this really reveals that Mary and Joseph were not rich. But they're offering the sacrifice. They, they waited to be ceremonial clean, clean, and they came, presented the sacrifice. And then we see, notice, uh, they were obedient to the word of God. Down in verse 27, uh, we see that the parents brought, middle of that verse, brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Verse 27. Verse 39, and when he had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, 
they returned to Galilee, their own city of Nazareth. So then, Mary and Joseph are at the temple. Jesus is, baby Jesus, 40 days old. And they are presenting him according to the law. And it's at this point something will amaze them. Will amaze them. They come across a man named Simeon. And here's our passage. Verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Luke wants us to take a look. Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And we have him described, look in the middle of verse 25, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Luke, inspired by the Spirit of God, declares that this man was righteous and devout. He was a righteous man. Now, how is it that one is righteous, biblically speaking? We know from the Old Testament, quoted also in Romans chapter 3, that there are none righteous, not even one. But we also know that through faith in Abraham's seed, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, one is declared righteous. One becomes righteous. And within that righteousness, one is going to manifest the behavior in accordance with that. Not perfectly, but one having a righteous standing will begin to reflect the nature of the relationship they have with a righteous and holy God. So Simeon is righteous, but he is also, notice, notice what it says, devout, devout. Now this word speaks of taking hold well. It speaks of being cautious or careful. And obviously in the context here, it speaks of being careful and cautious in your walk with the Lord. He was devout. He was careful and cautious. And boy, this is lost in many churches these days. Not many devout careful and cautious in worship and walk. Simeon is a true believer who is careful and cautious in his walk with the Lord. How about you? Are you careful and cautious about what you do in your life, wanting to please the Lord, confessing when we fail? And notice there's another description of this righteous and devout man, middle of verse 25. And he was, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. So we have a righteous and devout man who was continually, habitually actually looking for, or you could say, waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was waiting for something continually. So what is this consolation of Israel? The term consolation, paraclesis, speaks of comfort. Comfort for Israel. And in the context of this comfort, it is the comfort in the context of redemption, as we're going to see. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Right in the middle of your Bibles. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. This is what he was looking for, by the way. Old Testament saint who believed the word and was waiting for what God had promised. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort. O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed. He's looking for the comfort of that when one's sins is forgiven. And Israel was a nation in their sins. They were not saved. They were not following the Lord. There was a remnant. But he was looking forward to this comfort that God would bring upon her when her sins were removed. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. And let the rough ground be made plain and the rugged terrain and broad valley. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He was looking forward to the coming Messiah who would bring redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And thus comfort. Comfort. Simeon was a true believer who believed what God had promised and was looking forward to it. And was looking forward to it. Indeed, we see the account right after this of Anna the prophetess, a godly, well, elderly lady, a widow, uh, serving in the temple day and night. The scripture says that she spoke of him, speaking of Jesus. And in the end of verse 38, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. You see, true believers back in this day knew that Israel wasn't following the Lord, even though they said, Lord, Lord, Lord. 
And they were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem, which would come through the Messiah, all pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the one who would bring forgiveness of sins. You see, although the majority of Israel would reject the Lord, they'd be saying, crucify him within three years. There was a small remnant of those who were looking for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, which would come through the promised Messiah who would bring forgiveness of sins, which is the only way one is truly comforted and consoled. So Simeon's a godly man waiting for God to fulfill his plan concerning redemption. And notice what happens. We see further, he's a spirit-led, submissive servant. Back to verse 25. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Would God say that of you, by the way? This man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And notice this statement. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. See that phrase, the Holy Spirit was upon him. And from the Greek text, you could literally say it this way. The Holy Spirit had been continually, habitually upon him. It was just the way it is. This man is a true believer who is led by the Spirit of God. True believer. And notice verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw, he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. A lot of the Spirit of God functioning in this guy's life. Luke wants us to know this. This is a, this is a, a man who is not functioning by his own wisdom and words, as we're going to see later on. He's going to declare, inspired by the Spirit, truth concerning God. He is a man led by the Spirit, and he was also revealed to him. Old Testament, God spoke in many past portions in many ways, Hebrews 1, that he would not see death until he saw the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he came into the temple, came in the Spirit into the temple. The Spirit of God, the implication, the Spirit of God is leading him as he is obeying and he goes to the temple. So the Spirit had revealed that he wouldn't die and the Spirit was upon him continually, habitually. And he had been revealed to him that he would not die before he's seen the Lord's Christ. Now this term Christ is the equivalent to the Hebrew term in the Old Testament the anointed one, our Messiah, our Mashiach. It spoke of, in context of, the Lord's prophesied Redeemer King who would rule forever and ever, but yet would need to suffer first to bring about the forgiveness of sins before we had the glories to follow. And so we have Simeon coming by the Spirit into the temple, a righteous and devout and yielded man, by the way. Yielded man. He's led by the Spirit of God. And one last observation. Notice what he says in verse uh, 29. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace, according to thy word. He calls himself the Lord's bondservant. That's how he identifies himself. Would you say you're a servant of the living God? Would you say you serve the living God? And it's interesting. He doesn't use the normal words that's translated for Lord uh, Kyrios. He uses the word despata, which means an absolute sovereign over him. I am the absolute sovereign's servant. The Lord's bond servant. We have a wonderful picture of a godly man. Simeon is righteous. Because of Christ and it's manifesting in his life. He is devout. He is careful in his walk. He is spirit led. He is humble, waiting and seeking the fulfillment of the promises concerning Christ regarding the forgiveness of sins. And he sees God as his absolute sovereign over him. He is a servant. And folks, when you come to Christ, this is just naturally the way we see God. We don't have any issues with God at all when we come to faith in Christ, but then our old ways sneak back in, don't they? You see, when you come to Christ, you realize he's Lord. You trust him for salvation. You yield yourself to him. You just realize it. But then we go in our way and we allow ourselves to be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Simeon was not that way. And I ask you, would God describe you this way? Are you spirit-led? That means the word of God by the spirit of God is leading your decisions and actions throughout the day. You're walking with him. Are you yielded, devout, righteous, careful, humble, seeking, seeing your own sinfulness and need of a Savior, looking forward to what God has promised, recognizing you are a servant of a sovereign 
master who loves you and gave himself for you. Simeon was a, was a man of God who would be used to greatly declare God's excellencies, as we're going to see here in a minute. Back in our passage, notice the response of Simeon to seeing, uh, seeing this, this babe. Verse 27, and he came into the, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents, that's Mary and Joseph, brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he, that's speaking of Simeon, took him into his arms and blessed God and said. His response is going to be twofold. He's going to bless God and he's going to bless Mary and Joseph and more specifically Mary. He's going to respond verbally with truth that is a blessing concerning the living God and also concerning Mary. So he comes into the temple and, the, and Mary and Joseph bring the babe there to carry out the, an obedience to custom of the law. And Simeon takes the babe in his arms, which he had been promised he would see before he died. And it says he blessed God. He blessed God. And notice what he says. Now, Lord, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. He took him into his arms and he blessed God. He said, Now, Lord, thou dost let me let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. What you said, you're faithful to your word. You are faithful that I would see the Lord's Christ. Let me depart in peace. Why? For my eyes have seen thy salvation. Or because, you could say literally, I can depart in peace for my, literally because my eyes have seen thy salvation. You see, salvation comes in no one else or through no one else than Jesus Christ. But one needs to understand what they're saved from. Why do we need salvation? Why does anyone need to be saved? You see, the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That each one of us have sinned. We all know it. You kids, you know you've disobeyed your parents. You know you've done that. That's sin. That's wrong. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. God is a holy God, a righteous God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, salvation comes through Jesus. God took on human flesh. And he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sins. He died on the cross and bore our sins in his body on the cross and rose from the dead. Salvation comes through the person of Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. We all need salvation. And in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Do you remember what... Uh, the angel said to Matthew in Matthew 1.21, And she will bear a son, speaking to Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. We need salvation from our sins. And God the Son, the Lord, the Lord of all, took on human flesh. The Lord is salvation. That's what the name Jesus means. So this godly Old Testament saint was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the redemption of of Israel, which would come through the person of Jesus Christ. He says, For my eyes have seen thy salvation. Thy salvation. So led by the Spirit, he blesses God. He speaks well. The term blessed means a eulogio, means to speak well. Someone has a eulogy, it means to speak well. He declared truth concerning the living God that that babe in his arms is the means in which God would bring forth salvation for all, as we're going to say. Amazing reality. Amazing truth. Paul tells Timothy, For this we labor and strive because we fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially believers. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, uh, we see the statement, And there is no salvation in no one else. And no one else, for there's no other name under heaven that which has been given by given among men by which we must be saved. This is what Christmas is all about, that we are sinners and God was gracious and sent his son to die for us. This little babe, for my eyes have seen thy 
salvation. Well, notice he also proclaims something else. He proclaims something else. He says, verse 30, For my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Now notice concerning this six-week-old baby named Jesus, who God who took on human flesh in his arms, to which he identified as the Lord's Christ and thy salvation, he says, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples. In Hebrews chapter 10, there's a conversation before God took on human flesh between the Father and the Son. And it says, therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering thou hast desired, not desired, but a body thou hast prepared. For me. And we have the reality that by this will of him coming, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So he says it has been prepared, it has been made ready in front of all the peoples, in the presence of all the peoples, before the face of all the peoples. So what's being said here? Salvation in Jesus Christ is not hidden. It is before all, as we're going to see, that God took on human flesh. It is not hidden. And notice he describes this baby Jesus, verse 32, as a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And there's some different interpretations, but I think when we read through, we can understand it. One is such that it is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory to thy people Israel. Those are true. Or it could be that revelation and glory are parallel. You could translate it this way. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a light for glory to the people Israel. So what is it? I think we're going to see in light of other passages. Turn to John chapter 1. John 1. John 1. Verse 4, speaking of the Lord, said, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came for a witness that he might bear witness of the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came that he might bear witness of the light There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. And then up in John 8, 12, we have the words of Jesus. Again, Jesus therefore spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall receive, but shall have the light of life. John 8, 12. John 12, 46. I have come as a light into the world that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. We have a tremendous reality that Jesus is the light of the world. He is a light of revelation. And here it says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. Jesus is God's word about salvation. He is the Lord's salvation. He is God's revelation. Now, although this was not understood by the mainstream Jew, they thought God was just for them. God had made it clear before that he would want to and would be saving Gentiles. Isaiah chapter 9, turn to Isaiah 9. He certainly made it clear that he would come. Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. And then go up to Isaiah 42. And while you're turning there, the Jews' attitudes towards Gentiles were not very good. Remember Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites? He knew that if they heard the word, they would repent and God would save them. And he didn't want them because he hated them, right? They had a bad attitude. But God's plan was never simply just for Israel, but to bring salvation to everyone. Isaiah 42, verse 5. Thus says the Lord God who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
and who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to all the people on it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I also will hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from, from the prison. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. Isaiah 52.10, the Lord has bared his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. That all the ends of the earth may see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 52, verse 10. Isaiah 60, verse 1, Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen on you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. And the nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. The Apostle Paul shares the reality in Acts, or Luke shares the reality of the Apostle Paul, what he shares uh, when he was saved on the Damascus Road. The Lord Jesus said that he would deliver you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they might receive the forgiveness of sins. You see, Jesus Christ is a revelation of salvation to everyone. And here specifically to the Gentiles. You see, he is the light of the world. And if you believe in him, you will be delivered from your sin. You will receive salvation. And Simeon, inspired by the Spirit, understood this. That not only was Jesus a light to the Gentiles in regard of salvation, he was also, end of verse 32, back in Luke 2, the glory of thy people Israel. You see, God had made a covenant with Israel. He was their glory. And yet we know about their disobedience, that Israel continually disobeyed, and God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them. And we know that when God took them in discipline to Babylon, the glory departed from the temple, a symbolic manifestation of God's presence departing. But here we see God's glory had returned in bodily form and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glorious of the only begotten one from the father full of grace and truth jesus is a light of revelation to the gentiles and he is the glory of thy people israel everything that god had shared with israel everything that they should have been about should have pointed to jesus christ he's the glory of thy people israel and so Simeon says all of this concerning this little four, six-week-old baby, 40 days. God, who would grow up in human flesh and die for our sins and bring salvation. Take a look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this glorious, wonderful gospel. It's not only the glory of the Gentiles, or the Israel now, it's the glory of all who come to faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. Paul is responding to the accusation that he's not winning many souls. Not many people getting saved, Paul. But notice what he says. And even if our gospel is veiled, even if they don't see it, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. You don't want to get to that point. If you reject the truth and don't believe it, God allows Satan to blind your mind. Don't get there. That they might not see, notice this, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We have the glorious reality 
of who Jesus really is. God who took on human flesh and died for our sins. Have you seen the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? That God became like you and I and that he grew up sinless and died for our sins? You see, the Lord has placed him before all of us. He has made known his salvation, not just to Jews, but to Gentiles. Psalm 98. Turn there for a second. Psalm 98. Psalm 98, verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of what? The nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. We are Gentiles in a pagan world and we know about what Christmas means. We know about Jesus. We know about the baby Jesus who came, God who took on human flesh and and grew up and died for our sins. It has been revealed to us, to us, that we will be set free from the prison of sin. But yet there are some of you here today, you are prisoners of sin. You are prisoners of your own, own sin. You dwell in darkness, you are blind to your eternal destiny. You are blind to what God says. And it is only through Jesus Christ that our eyes are opened to our sinfulness and our need for him to save us. And that's what Christmas is about. God who took on human flesh to save. So then we have the tremendous blessing and declaration to God as he declares the glorious truth concerning the babe who is the Savior, the Lord's salvation. Who, who, is, who is the light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. And now we have Mary and Joseph's response. Back in our passage, Luke chapter 2, verse 33. After all this and what Simeon said, right? Luke verse 33, 2.33. And his father, that is Joseph, and his mother, that's Mary, were what? Amazed. Amazed at the things which were being said about him, the baby Jesus. You see, Joseph had already been told and knew that God, that the child Mary had conceived was of the Holy Spirit and that he should name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins, Matthew 1. Mary had been told which that which was to be conceived was of the Holy Spirit, that he would be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord would give him the throne of his father David. The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And she had been told that she is blessed among women. Blessed is the fruit of her womb, Luke chapter 1. And they had been told, Mary and Joseph, by the shepherds about the child. And now 40 days later, they are receiving more revelation from Simeon. And they're amazed. They're amazed. They're amazed at the things which are being said about him. Well, what was being said? He's salvation. He is from whom we are saved. My eyes have seen thy salvation. This is your way. This is how you save through Jesus Christ. He's the light to all the Gentiles and the glory of Israel. This little babe that Simeon is holding. How about you? Do you marvel? Do you marvel at what God did? Are you amazed that God would become a man? That God would bring salvation through this little babe? That he would grow up, live the perfect life, and die for our sins and, and raise from the dead the third day? When we think of Christmas, we should marvel at what God has done for us. Marvel at the person of Jesus Christ. So then Simeon has been speaking well, blessing God concerning the truth of the Savior. And notice he responds lastly here in our passage by blessing Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 34. And Simeon blessed them. That's Mary and Joseph. And said to Mary his mother. So he blesses uh, Mary and Joseph. And then he begins to declare this blessing to Mary his mother. You see, God took in human flesh. He had a human mother, his mother. Behold, this child, the one in his hands, is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. 
and a sword will even pierce will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verses 34 and 35 are very interesting because so far in Luke there has only been good news. But here we see some bad news in relationship to the baby Jesus. The bad news is because of him, but what we'll see, their response to him, many will fall in Israel. We'll see there's also opposition and a sword. That doesn't sound like good news. As we begin, notice what it says. The Christ child is appointed for two things. One, for the fall. Behold, this child is appointed or placed in this place. The word means placed. He is here for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. In context, this babe, Jesus, by virtue of him coming as Savior, will bring about the fall and rise of many in Israel. In contrast to the Gentiles whom the Messiah will save, Israel will be divided. Many will rise and fall because of Christ. And specifically, Israelites would fall into judgment, or I believe rise into salvation, based on their response to Jesus Christ. You see, you're either going to stumble over Jesus or be saved by him. There's no other option. He is the only Savior. Listen to what the Lord said concerning the Messiah and Israel in Isaiah chapter 8. Turn to Isaiah again. I should have told you to keep your fingers there. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 13. It is the Lord of hosts whom you shall regard as holy. He shall be your fear and he shall be your dread. Not much of that in church these days, by the way. Then he shall become, he will become a sanctuary, both to the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many will stumble over them, and they will fall and be broken. They will, they will ever be snared and caught. You see, our passage points out to Israel's response here specifically, but we're going to see the same thing for the Gentiles, that based on your response to Jesus is you're either going to stumble and fall to your eternal damnation or you're going to be saved by him. Your response to the presentation of Jesus is absolutely crucial. 1 Peter chapter 2, we have the same thing here, but spoken of Gentiles. 1 Peter 2, verse 6, For this contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed, shall not be disappointed. This precious value is for those who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and to this doom they were appointed. If you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation from sins, not just believing in him, but you really need a savior, you will not be ashamed or disappointed. But if you reject him, you will stumble over him to your eternal doom. Your response to Jesus is everything. Jesus will be your eternal downfall if you reject him, or he'll be your source of salvation if you believe in him. He has been laid or appointed by God as such. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Christmas is actually a very serious thing. It points to a birth, a birth of a Savior, one which everyone must deal with. Your response to Jesus reveals your eternal destiny. So now, not only is he laid in Zion as the babe placed for Israel, he is also for rise and fall. He is also as a sign, it says, to be opposed. Back in, uh, back in verse 34. A sign to be opposed. The term opposed is a Greek word, anti-lego. It means to be spoken against, to be contradicted. The babe who would come to Israel would be a sign that was characterized by opposition being spoken against. Isn't that the same thing right now? Isn't Jesus characterized by opposition being spoken against? You bet. You bet. John 1, 12, 1, 11, He came to his own, those who were his own, those who were his own did not receive him. 
But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Well, as we finish up, I want to read a parable. Turn to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. The Lord Jesus himself shares this parable. Matthew 21, verse 33. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented out to the vine, to vine growers and went on a journey. And when the harvest time approached, he sent out his slaves to the vine grower to receive his produce. And the vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. And he sent another group of slaves larger than the first and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out to the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, He will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers and who will pay him for the proceeds at the proper seasons. And Jesus said to them, Did you never read the scriptures? Haven't you ever read the word? Don't you read the word? Didn't you read it? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to another nation, producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Jesus' earthly ministry was characterized by opposition. It's a sign for opposition. He was placed for the rise and fall of many and a sign to be opposed. Yet it's through this very opposition that God would bring forth salvation as he is led to the cross. Then lastly, notice Jesus would be opposed and this, would, this opposition would even pierce Mary's soul also. Look back in our passage in verse 34. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And then notice this statement. And a sword will pierce even your own soul. It appears this statement here in 35 is parenthetical where, where Simeon interjects this before he finishes his blessing. He says a sword will even pierce your own soul. He's speaking to Mary, remember that. He's speaking in the context of opposition, a sign to be opposed, and that this opposition to Jesus will be a sword that will even pierce Mary's own soul. The term sword is not a small one, but a broad, large sword. I cannot be exactly certain, but it appears he's speaking of the grief that Mary would experience when those who opposed Jesus would crucify him. It would even pierce her to her own soul. Prophetically, Mary's going to experience deep sorrow because of the opposition Jesus will face. And on a side note, brothers and sisters, we won't go through anything like Jesus went through, but Jesus is opposed by the world, and we're going to be opposed by it too. He is assigned to be opposed, and if we are in him, we're going to be opposed. You can look at John 15, what Jesus said, If the world hates you, know it hated me before it hated you. Slaves not greater than his master. You know that. But ultimately, this parenthetical statement after this points to the reality that our response exposes where our hearts are at. Look at this, verse 35, And the sword will pierce even your own soul. To the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You see, your response to what I've shared today reveals where your heart is. If you're apathetic, don't care, want to get out of here, yes, your heart is in a bad place. Because what I'm saying is eternally important. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If you're rejoicing in the fact that God is your Savior through Jesus Christ, it's revealing your heart. It's revealing your heart. To the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. One version says this verse this way. Indeed, as a result of him, the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul, Mary, as well. 
Your response to Jesus, God who took on human flesh to die for your sins, your response will indicate where your heart is at. You cannot be passive about Jesus. If you have not acknowledged your sin and trusted in him as Lord and Savior, it's going to reveal your heart where it's at. Today, some of your hearts may have been exposed. What is your response to the presentation of Jesus? I began saying that there are some things that we have that come across us in our life that will affect our, our entire lives. Decisions that come and are placed before us, they will affect our entire lives. This decision here today will affect your entire eternity. What you do with Jesus. Will you believe in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead and trust in him? Or you will stumble over him to your eternal damnation? Christmas is very serious. It's a wonderful blessing and a glory to those who believe. It is a terrible indicator of an eternal damnation if you don't. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the truth of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so sinful. We fail so often, and yet you sent your son to die for our sins. Glorious, wonderful God in human flesh. Lord, I pray that everyone here would respond rightly to the presentation of your son, Jesus. And the right response is that we need a Savior, and he's it. And believe in him for salvation. Lord, for those of us who have been saved by Jesus, may we rejoice and praise you. May we glorify you and thank you. May you be exalted in our thoughts every day, especially during this time. And those who haven't trusted in your Son, Lord God, May their hearts be pierced, that they would turn and believe, be saved, and then rejoice with us. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.